2: This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal History. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit LambdaLegal.org. That's LambdaLegal.org. Cool Zone
3: Media.
4: Hello, and welcome to Cool Spiders That Infest Sophie's Basement. Mm. With the occasional centipede. Mm. House centipedes, ideally. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy, and today we are not talking about Bugs. But my that's current, we my, we're not about. talking about
3: my current trauma. <laughs>
4: nope.
3: I'm really allergic to spider bites. I don't hate them as a concept, but spiders and me are not compatible.
4: My first um, real viral post on Instagram yeah. was at my old cabin. I had this like tiny dollhouse mirror that I had. For, I have no yeah. idea why I had a dollhouse mirror and I um, glued it right to the inside of my door.
3: And did you catch a spider?
4: No, I I put a um I wrote a sign above it that said spiders must be smaller than this mirror oh, yeah, or will yeah. be denied she, she, she. entry. Did it work? I think so.
3: Oh, maybe that's what I should have done instead of you know just having this horrible incompatibility that I'm having. But I would need like a really really tiny tiny mirror because all of them yeah and I are not compatible. But you know who I am compatible with is our guest. Is it
5: Caitlin? It's Caitlin. <gasps> Hi, Caitlin. Oh,
3: hi, Caitlin. Caitlin, you can you can infest my house anytime you want. Oh my
4: gosh!
5: <laughs> and I don't have eight legs or that more. we know of. <laughs>
4: that not with that attitude, you don't. Oh, true. Get I'm yourself a hacksaw. Slacking. No one said they have to be attached. Oh,
5: you know what? You're right. <laughs> In that case, I have
4: dozens of legs. Yeah.
5: That centipede was so big. (laughs) It was so big.
4: So today, (laughs) Caitlin Durante is our guest. Yes. Hi, Caitlin.
5: Hi, Caitlin. (laughs) Hello. Thanks for having me back. Yeah.
4: Sophie's our producer. Hi, Sophie. I'm
5: traumatized. Hello.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Ian is our audio engineer. Hi, Ian. Yay, Ian.
3: Hi, Ian. Hi.
4: Unwoman wrote our theme song. And this is part three of our deep and meandering dive into the Surrealists, the art movement that didn't see itself as an art movement that was cool as hell and gay as hell and anti-fascist as hell. Normally, I could be like, oh, I'll catch you up with exactly where we're at in the plot, but we're doing it meandering. We're doing it Surrealistically. Mm -hmm. Last time I called these episodes a derive, which comes from the Situationists who followed the Surrealists in their footsteps, right? Um, although they like to argue about it and they got in all these fights when they <laughs> overlapped. It was fun. But That's not what we're going to talk about today. But instead, I was like, maybe this isn't a tariff. Maybe it is a different other fancy word for Margaret has ADHD and this episode is a perfect excuse to revel in that because it's about surrealists. Mm. That word is the exquisite corpse. Uh, speaking of having too many limbs that aren't attached to people. Uh, Caitlin, are you familiar with the exquisite corpse? I am not even a little bit. Okay. It has nothing to do with its name. Uh, okay. they're, they're fucking surrealists.
5: Wait, exquisite uh, corpse?
4: Yeah. I'll explain it. Um, okay, please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or in French, it would be called a uh, cadavre Um mm. But I don't speak French besides uh, one baguette, please. I'm sorry, I don't speak French, which is mm. what I That's said every day. All you need to know. Spent a month in France, and that's what I used to get around. That and Spanish, nice.
5: <laughs> Which I also I also see. used Spanish because um, the a woman I spoke to didn't speak English but spoke Spanish, and I yeah. spoke enough Spanish to be able to tell her where the bathroom was at the bar that I was doing a comedy show at. Excellent. That's yeah.
4: all you need. That and baguettes. Mm-hmm. All you need is bread. Okay, so the Exquisite Corpse is something between a party game and a method of creating collaborative art. I've only played it as a party game, but it's done by people who like actually draw well and then it's cool as fuck surrealist art. You ever played the party game where you like start drawing at the top of the piece of paper and then you fold it so only the little two lines are showing and then hand it to the next person?
5: Mm, Um it sounds familiar, but I don't think I've actually played. Maybe I've just observed. Okay.
4: It's really fun. That's the game of Exquisite Corpse. You you draw something at the top of the piece of paper, you fold it so only the very very edge of what you draw is visible. The next person continues that little bit, and since they're starting with the connecting lines from the previous person, the th- the things are like completely unrelated, but they line up, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'll start by being like, "All right, we're drawing a person." You know, so there's like some semblance of creating a form. But other times you don't. You have a thing that starts off as a Clouds, and then it's an elephant, and then it's the abyss. Mm. I, I don't know. You can also do it with writing. You can write a sentence, and then the first word of the next sentence, or a paragraph where only the last line is visible, or whatever. And it's
5: okay. That's I think that's the version I'm more familiar with.
4: Yeah, when you hang out with sober people, this is the kind of thing that they get up to when they are <laughs> no. at a party, because there's no other social lubricant available. I guess mm. I don't know. It's true. Alcohol is the only.
5: Thing that, that you keeps need us together. <laughs> I said drunkenly. No, I'm currently yeah. not. I'm, I'm not drunk at this moment.
4: <laughs> Congrats. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, okay, the strange name, The Exquisite Corpse. It just comes from one of the first times they played it, which they played it as a written game for a while, and it generated mm-hmm. the sentence the exquisite corpse will drink the new wine. Mm. And like, these are a bunch of like bastard countercultural rich kids, right? Mostly. Mm -hmm. So they're convinced they've unlocked like the secrets of the universe with this game, right? (laughs) And so they give it this grandiose name. But it's really fun. Most of them claim it was invented in 1925 with like there's like lists where it's like the five specific guys, all guys, were there when the exquisite corpse was generated by our unconscious genius or whatever. <laughs> um, um, later, someone was like, "Now nah, we've been playing this game since nineteen eighteen well um and which you know just doesn't line up as well to like clout chasing, basically, sure. So the surrealists are usually presented as if there's this like clean cut line in the sand where like there's like no surrealism and then in 1924 there's surrealism, right? Mm-hmm. Um there's like a before and after of the creation of surrealism. And this is not the case. The the word surrealism actually comes from some theater stuff that I didn't write down the details of because it seemed like a tangent that my brain couldn't handle at that particular moment.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: But it and it wasn't even like the founders of surrealism who necessarily coined that phrase, right? It, it developed organically and it wasn't named. It wasn't like being like, all right, what we're doing is surrealism until they've been doing the thing for a while, which is a thing that I keep running across. Whenever there's like a cool radical subculture, like um, they're just like doing that shit. And then someone's like, oh, they're the hippies. Oh, they're the nihilists. Oh, they're the surrealists, you know?
5: Yeah. Like, oh, what do we call this?
4: Yeah. The thing That's been around for a while. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Which like makes me wonder about all of them, right? Are all things like that? Like was punk like that? I don't oh, know.
5: Maybe. I mean, how long did this podcast exist before you started calling it cool people who did cool, <laughs> cool
3: stuff? About immediately.
4: Oh, okay. Well, there goes that theory. <laughs> well, that's not entirely true. For a while, we kept accidentally calling it cool people who did cool things.
5: I've also made that mistake, yeah. <laughs> we we
3: also called it cool people who did cool shit. And then we were like, yeah. oh that'll get geo that'll get blocked on all the apps. So that's cool.
4: Yeah, that's what I pitched it as.
3: Cool shit, yeah.
4: <laughs> and one time I was like, Oh, I actually pitched it as a different name. And people were like, Oh, was it called Based People Did Base stuff? And I was like, No, I am old. <laughs> like
3: <laughs> it is the title is- it's meant to be.
4: Yeah.
5: Wait, what does bass mean? I'm also old. It means cool. It means cool. Oh, my gosh. Since when? all oh, Gen Z. Is, yeah. I can't, I can't keep up. <laughs>
4: no. And it's okay. They don't have to. Every generation can have its own slang. Yeah. I true. think I included the word stan as a verb in this script for the first time ever, and I'm mm-hmm. going to feel extra self-conscious when I use it. Sure. But so it goes. So... We're going to talk about the build-up. We've already talked about a bunch of things they did and a bunch of um, a bunch of the people who inspired them. But there is like a direct lineage that they basically come out of Dada, mm-hmm. and the I'm gonna. I, I had this whole pitch where it's like we're going to connect piece by piece with smooth transitions of different subject matter to create an exquisite corpse. Oh, there's a million histories of surrealism. Most of them focus on their art, which makes sense they focused mostly on their art, right? But only mostly. Like, I'd say it was like a 51% art thing, you know? (laughs) I'm going to focus a bit more on how they wove into the rest of the world and their connections, because maybe we're all part of an exquisite corpse, a history where every piece has its connections to every other piece. Eh? Whoa. Eh.
5: So, wait, question about exquisite corpse, the game. So, when you're playing it with, like, a drawing, let's say, so it keeps getting passed on and you fold the paper mm-hmm. and so the idea is that like what was the original thing and how does it compare to what the fin- like the last person drew or like how do what's the
4: so it's less like a game of telephone no there's okay. no objective it's it's to create something out of the unconscious and there's like other ones that are actually like there's a really fun one where um you uh one the first person just like writes a sentence describing something and then the mm-hmm. next person just draw, can see that sentence and then draws it and then folds it where they can't see the sentence that came before it. And so then oh, the next okay. person writes a sentence describing that piece and then the next person draws it, et cetera, et cetera, down the mm-hmm. line. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And no, it's, oh, it's okay. actually really interesting because it's both a party game and it also just like actually makes really cool art. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bunch of really... None of, the, none of the times I did it did it ever create cool art. But I've seen really cool art that was made this way.
5: Mm-hmm. Okay, nice. Yeah, and I'm sh- look. Don't sell yourself short. I'm sure you made amazing <laughs> art.
4: What's funny is I've like literally published a comic book, but I like never talk about it. Oh my god! Yeah, you should talk about it. <laughs> it's called the Super Happy Arco Fun Book, and I used to draw this comic strip when I was like a traveling punk who lived out of a backpack. Where it's like stick figure punks being annoying. Anyway, yeah. everyone can you is it purchasable? I think so I maybe <laughs> i it's pro- it's like one of those things where it's like probably like technically in print, but I'm willing to bet the publisher doesn't like actually keep up with it very well okay. you know Got it
5: that's very punk yeah all of I you know to do that.
4: kind of an annoying way but <laughs> <laughs> okay, but this next thing we're gonna talk about is the punkest thing ever. I don't know. Okay. It's really punk. There's a lot of things that are really punk, but this is one of them. We're going to talk about Dada. Have you heard of Dada? I've heard of it, but I know very little. Yeah, that it, it makes sense. Dada is fucking cool. Uh, and it's basically the thing that came immediately before the Surrealists. And like most of the founding Surrealists were Dadaists before that. Okay. So, okay, to, to lay the scene for it. In the 19th century and the early 20th century, Everything's like fucking wild for Europeans in most of the world. Everything is changing quickly. You have industrialization and capitalism being like, hell yeah, let's do this thing. But you've also got the working class being like, no, we're going to do our fucking thing instead, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You get all these people organizing into labor movements and you get all these people dreaming of a future without the state or capitalism. And a lot of them are using like all this new science to be like, oh my God, we can, you know, have our uh, fully automated gay luxury space communism or whatever, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And they tended to disagree about the methods of how to create a society without the state and capitalism, but that was like a lot of people's fucking idea. The, the present was really bleak, but the future was really bright, was kind of a one way to understand okay. that part of the labor movement. Then World War I came and said, no, the future sucks. It's all murder. Everything's bad. Machine guns are here. You're fucked. Ugh. World War I came and it smashed all those dreamers into little pieces because the state plus machine gun meant death everywhere and the youth were mowed down. Hmm. The stragglers who crawled home from the trenches were forever changed and mostly not in good ways. And this dramatically shifts the art and social scenes of Europe. Um, And this is a bit of an exaggeration coming from uh, an author I read just talking about like utopianism is kind of like on the wane, right? People are a little bit like We care about our bright and bold future we're marching towards. And it's more like decadence and nihilism and a fuck it attitude. This is where you get like Weimar Germany and all the cabarets. This is when you get like, let's drink and be merry because we have no fucking food, but we seem to have all this booze and like, let's just fucking go. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, So it's a really good time for art and culture. Eh? Eh? (laughs) Yeah. It kind of feels a lot like today where climate change has us fully aware that all of the progressive things that everyone was working towards don't mean shit unless we have a on real sudden revolution. To on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's made really good art. Yeah. I like this podcast, which is totally high art. I Absolutely. Uh, the highest. Yeah. So this did not mean an end to revolt and a desire for change, but it meant it was more concerned with the destruction of the existent rather than the prefiguration of something new and mm-hmm. to quote a more modern slogan that comes from the same urge life is ecstatic intercourse between destruction and creation and Orny. i really i know i'm yeah <laughs> it was not a good time to be alive in the interwar years but it was a good time for art and culture all the old rules are gone anything could come in its place enter dada which actually started in the middle of the First World War. And there's a whole bunch of like modernism and avant-garde and stuff. Dada and Surrealism are just examples of it. But they're like mm. the ones I'm talking about today. Yeah, Dada was an art movement against art movements. They, they were an anti-art movement. That was like a, a stated thing. Their goal was the quote, ruthless violation of the traditional conventions of art. Okay. They wanted to fight the logic and carefully ordered rules of the of modern capitalist, nationalist, and warmongering society. And they wanted to do that fighting with nonsense and irrationality. And they did it with every medium of art they could. So they made really weird shit. And it's like, it didn't last as long, right? Because it's not as like pleasant, right? Like surrealism is like, even though it's like fucking weird, you're like, oh, this is like, there's like nice colors and shit, you know, right? It's like aesthetically pleasing.
5: Yes. Once again, I am doing a Google image search for mm. data art.
4: Ooh, and, what do you get? Um, Is it a lot of graphic design?
3: It's a lot. It's yeah, a lot of graphic lot of, design. That's that's. Do
4: you crazy. get the toilet? The, the toilet, urinal. We'll talk about and the then urinal. Then
5: there's like a lot of like what just seems like a collage. Like can't even
3: did. tell you how much my AP art history teacher talked about that fucking toilet. <laughs>
4: I actually, I'm going to be really curious when we get to that part to ask what your AP English teacher said about it. But yeah, like they, yeah, they Speaking
3: did. Speaking of trauma, let's bring up that experience <laughs> when I used to get in trouble for talking in class.
4: Just pretend she's a giant spider. He, oh, of course. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the only way I passed art history once is I learned that my art history teacher really liked the um, Rococo. And was complain about how none of her students liked Rococo. So, it was the only period I studied. <laughs> and then I wrote my paper on it. <laughs> and then I was mm-hmm. like, I'm a horrible person. I basically was just like, oh, I really struggle with this class, obviously. But I really liked Rococo. It totally spoke to me. And she was like, oh, my God, me too. And she gave me a passing grade. That's uh, the way you hustle. Bad I love person. that. Yeah. yeah. No, that's S- you. Work work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
5: All
4: right. So Dada, no one agrees where the name comes from. It's possible. The, the most common version of the story is that someone opened up a dictionary at random and stabbed down a knife into the French word for hobby horse. Yeah, maybe, okay. it's, maybe they used it because it's a child's first word, you know, like, and it's like mm-hmm. sort of nonsense Mama, word. Dada. Yeah. Or a lot of Romanians in Switzerland were a big far- part of the starting of it. And so... When they kept saying, like, yes, yes, they were saying da-da, right? Mm. Maybe the creators intentionally lied about where it comes from. I think that's the most likely answer. Sounds like a very da-da thing to do. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> dada was basically founded by this couple, a man and a woman. Uh, so history, of course, only remembers the man, who mm. by all accounts was actually pretty good to his partner. So here's to the wife guys of history. <laughs> and they start off their journey here as anarchists probably anarchist pacifists their name are names are hugo ball and emmy hennings hugo was a german born into the conser- into a conservative catholic family living in belgium and he saw firsthand what machine guns do to people belgium being one of the first places that the like mass casualties of machine guns mm-hmm. in of white people um cuz Spoiler, not spoiler. A thing that happened, of course, was the first use of machine guns and war was like against uh, indigenous people in Africa uh, Mm -hmm. that I'm aware of. I don't know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he saw this and he had a quote. The war is founded on a glaring mistake. Men have been confused with machines. Basically, he's like, wait, what? Like, this is dumb. Machines should fight it out. Why are people fighting it out? They die. Like they all die. That seems bad, right? (laughs) Right. So the war is going on. So he fucks off to Switzerland with Emmy, who I think might be the one who got him into anarchism and shit, though don't quote me on it. She was a cabaret dancer, and she was a year older than him, and had already been married and was publishing poems in radical-like lefty newspapers. And they're in their like late 20s at this point. They're like, all right, mm-hmm. you got to get the fuck out. We're going to Switzerland. They go to Zurich. And they show up, and they're starving artists. They're trying to scrape by. They're working on all these different shows and shit as performers or writers or whatever. And this is a really interesting place to be in time because like everyone who's fleeing the war, like all the all the radicals who are like being persecuted by the governments for being pacifists or being against the war or whatever are all coming here, right? Mm-hmm. So 1916, they start Cabaret Voltaire and soon they have all these artists in their orbit and they start a magazine too and they name it Cabaret Voltaire, which is fine. It's not like the most original thing to give it the same name, but mm-hmm. whatever. I would probably do that.
5: Creativity is
4: hard. I know it is, <laughs> and they're putting all of it into their cabaret because mm-hmm. their cabaret is fucking weird. Like when I think of a cabaret, I think of like, well, I probably mostly think of the movie Cabaret, right? <laughs> and I think about like these like very structured like here's these people performing for this specific audience, and like you know, I, I don't know, whatever. This cabaret was a venue for poetry, dance, and music, and people tried all kinds of avant-garde shit. Uh, there were poems without words known in any language. People reading poems at the same time as one another. There's like noise scene stuff, like people playing concerts with typewriters and rakes. All the shit that's like kind of cool and kind of annoying, you know, and equal.
5: Okay, sure. Proto-stomp, it sounds like.
4: Yeah, stomp is the commercialization of 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 noise. Yeah. Okay. Which is fine. I mean, there's actually, whatever speaking of the commercialization of radical culture wow uh, did you know that this show is actually sponsored I did oh (laughs) not your first (laughs) sorry
5: I'll try again I did not tell me more
4: well if you want to know more you can listen to these things that I wholeheartedly and earnestly support
1: Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand
2: To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit LambdaLegal.org. That's LambdaLegal.org.
4: And we're back. So, uh, there's people wearing all kinds of weird, ridiculous outfits, doing strange dances and shit. Like, there's a picture of, like, Hugo Ball in, like, a machine robot costume that's, like, cheesy as shit. Looks kind of like the Tin Man. Like, And there's a A riotous crowd. It's not people nodding along quietly. It's not like, oh, I'm going to go perform. Everyone better be quiet while I read my poem. That is not the vibe here. Uh, One poet apparently liked to punctuate his speaking by shooting a gun into the air. Whoa. Um, I'm sure the owners of the club fucking love that.
5: (laughs) Yeah, sounds a bit dangerous.
4: The word Dada is on a banner by the piano. And it's basically they're like, what if we just do chaos, right? And... Part of their efforts at anti colonialism wouldn't read right in today's eyes, which is that they have to have like African drumming and like African inspired war masks as part of the decorations. Although they were also actively supporting African anti colonial movements. And I think that. Okay.
5: Was, so uh, appropriating some like part of it is appropriation and part of it's like, but we support.
4: Yeah. It's like militant <laughs> support. And I don't fucking know. Like I don't, I think mm. this is a good example of like. Not necessarily holding people to the same standards because things were different. Not even like, oh, we've learned more now. It's just like literally the way that people would have interacted with all of those things could have been very different or sure, not. Yeah. I don't know. Also, it's possible <sighs> we that. Alive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we'll speak for yourself. But, you know, mm. there's also all these like, it's also possible that the war masks are actually Romanian folklore inspired, um, depending on the, what okay. source you read. I'd put money that they do both a fucking ton of the people involved at the start are Romanian Jews in exile. And sometimes the shows turn into riots or cause other scandals and the cops were like not fans of Cabaret Mm -hmm. Voltaire. So it's just a punk club. It's just a fucking cool as shit.
3: Yeah, it's cool so the cops don't like it.
4: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So Hugo Ball writes the first Dada Manifesto in 1916 and he like reads it out at the club because of course he does. And one of the lines in it to sort of give you a sense of the sort of whatever. Quote, how can one get rid of everything that smacks of journalism worms, everything nice and right, blinkered, moralistic, Europeanized, and never hated, by saying Dada, Dada is the word soul. Dada is the pawn shop. Dada is the world's best lily milk soap. Basically he's like, I'm going to spew nonsense because I am sick of the capitalist world as obsessed with everything being like neat and orderly. We are going to just like, Throw everything into chaos until something better comes along. Mm. All the while, Hugo ba- Hugo Ball, not Boss. I don't know how you, Hugo boss. Hugo Boss thought the about any of this.
3: The entire time you were saying Ball, I thought Boss the entire time, even though I knew it was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Hugo, one's a Nazi, one's not a Nazi. Um, yeah. Um, uh huh.
4: Yeah. All the while, Hugo is obsessed with Catholic mysticism. Mm. supposedly at the same time as he's like sticking the knife into the dictionary and coming up with the word Dada. He's like building an altar in the corner of his room. Interesting. And their whole thing is against rationalism in the art world. They're against aesthetics. Now we can talk about the urinal. Marcel Duchamp, who is uh-huh. yeah one of the early Dadaists and later a surrealist, he gets into the ready-made, which is basically... You take a mass-produced object, you give it a title, and you're like, here you go, here's your fucking art.
3: Do you know, do you do you know the story behind Fountain?
4: Tell me the story behind Fountain.
3: Okay, Fountain is the piece that everybody calls the urinal. It's an upside-down urinal where he just signed it R period Mutt with the year, and I think it was 1917. Somebody can fact-check yeah. me if I'm wrong. Sorry. And there was this art competition that was like, you can submit. Anything. And yeah. that's what he said and he submitted it anonymously and everybody freaked the fuck out. And it like basically <laughs> changed all of art because it was like, what is art? Is this art? Can we define this as art? And everybody yeah. lost their goddamn minds. It's cool.
4: Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting cool. to me. Yeah. yeah. And like apparently they didn't put it into the main show. They were like, This is not fucking art, but they they did photograph it. Well, as they part thought of it. it they thought it was a joke. First. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, but here's the thing I'm trying to figure out is that like everything I uh, read about it, like art history wise, which is, again, I, I clearly have laid out that I did not pay much attention to art history.
3: I've clearly laid out that I that I did. I knew that. The fact that I knew that story off the cuff is. <laughs> right. <laughs> maybe and so, I like, wasn't talking too much in class. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> So there's like one way of interpreting it where it's like, whoa, man, like everything is art. That's so deep. And then there's another way that seems more realistic to me, which is that he was being like, it's trolling. It's like, fuck you. Fuck right. your art world. Here's a fucking urinal. I'm calling it fountain. Fucking deal with it. You know? Mm-hmm. And it might be both, right? Like, it might be like, look, everything's art. Nothing's art. da mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm.
5: Could be could be um something that I did in school sometimes where I was like, oops, this project's due and I didn't do anything for it. So I'll just <laughs> slap a thing on another thing that's already a thing and then pretend like I'm a genius.
4: Yeah. <laughs> but maybe
5: you were a genius, Caitlin. And maybe I was. Yeah. Maybe I
3: was. The real
4: genius was the thing that came up from your own conscience as you were mm-hmm. trying to wow. evade um. Uh, the rules Mm -hmm. so sadly this concept and lots of anti-art and surrealism were later recuperated into capitalism like by that asshole andy warhol who basically did the same thing but for capitalism Mm -hmm. instead of against capitalism but dada along the way they're also against nationalism and colonialism uh they figure that these two things are the cause of war and above everything else they're against war right and soon it spreads this like fucking wild punk scene uh the original club gets shut down, I think, by the cops. After like, I don't know, six months. It does not last. It does not last a very long time. Um, mm-hmm. But Dada goes across the Western world. And Hugo Ball and Emmy Hennings, the two people who opened Cabaret Voltaire, they're out. Depending on the source, they stuck around with the movement for a few more months to a few more years. But basically, they, I, th- I think they were like, oh my God, fucking art movement. We've become the thing we're hate. we've hated and we're out. Mm-hmm. But by 1920, they've reconverted to like traditional Catholicism and Hugo spends the rest of his what? short life obsessed with theology and Christian mysticism. And now the obsessive rationalism that he's fighting against, he's still against rationalism, but he's mm-hmm. against the, he now blames it on the Protestant Reformation, right? Okay. He, like, he fucking loses it. I was like, what? <laughs> I don't understand it. <laughs> I mean, I understand it, but it's not good, you know? Right. (laughs) Yeah. I did not
5: see that coming. No. But good for him. Yeah. I
4: guess. He, He died of cancer super young at 41 years old. Emmy lasted decades longer. But Dada goes on without them, right? In 1918, a Jewish Romanian who had been there since more or less the beginning, his name is Tristan Zara. He writes a new Dada manifesto. And he goes on to lead the movement, he helps it spread, and he's the one who brought it to all the folks who are going to go on to start the Surrealist movement. Now, Dada had an ideological fight with another art movement. I'm guessing, based on your knowledge of Surrealism and Dada, you're not super familiar with Futurism?
5: I'm really not. You would be correct.
4: Sophie, what do you got on Futurism?
5: Uh, I don't have much on Futurism,
3: to be honest with you. Is there another name for it?
4: No, this is a futurist movement. The reason it falls out of favor of history is that they were really into the Nazis after a while.
3: Oh, Ew. that's probably why I don't know about it as much. Yeah, there's like, what what is what does the style look like? It's like
4: Metropolis, the movie Metropolis. Uh-huh. Like it's like mm. it's like we're going to go into this bright, beautiful future where the machines are like work oh, for us oh, and oh, like oh, oh. it's like lots of like cityscapes and shit.
3: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Bright, and, bright color. Bright colors looks almost like a collage. But then, am I? Rem- is that what that is? I th- I just think I just don't know the name. Didn't oh, see, I name. just
4: think of Metropolis so much that I'm actually now got to look up futurism art. See, I know more about the politics of everything. Like at one point, yeah, I know you're right. Bright colors and shit. Um, I was walking oh, around this yeah, bookstore yeah, yeah. with my my mom, and I was like telling her all the politics of all the authors, and my mom was like, "Do you know what these books are about?" And I'm like, "No." <laughs>
3: No. I do. I remember. I remember uh, uh, some of this stuff. I just didn't know it was called futurism.
4: Yeah.
5: So maybe I was busy talking in class and missed the name (laughs) of it. That was one of the days that you were just (laughs) yapping those gums, flapping those gums.
4: (laughs) See. When I was in art school, I had this roommate and he was a, he wrote a neo futurist manifesto and it was like super hierarchical. And then I got really into anarchy and we got into these like fist fights about it. And then yeah. in the end, he became an anarcho futurist where it was like all of the same concept, but instead it was like egalitarian. Mm-hmm. Well, a similar thing happened before that. <laughs> where, so the futurists didn't start off Nazis, right? There's actually like interesting ideological shit going on with the futurists. But, they eventually, most of them are like a bunch of Nazis. And so the Dadaists are like, fuck you, like, you suck. And overall, they kind of win this fight. Like, Dada is remembered, and futurism is more of a footnote, you know? Mm-hmm. There, however, were a bunch of people involved in Dada who ended up not so good, mm-hmm. including one Italian guy who sided with the Dadaists, I think, in the fight against the futurists. Because the futurism mostly comes from Italy, like, Fascism OK. And there's someone who was personal friends with Zara who turned out to be really no good. And his name is Julius Avola.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: Julius Avola is like he's like the mysticism guy that all the Nazis are into. He's the like, Ugh. if you meet like people who are like into weird esoteric shit where they think they're really deep and they're fucking fascists, Avola's their like guy. Okay, gross. Like, fuck the modern world, but not in a cool way where, like, we're equal and live with nature, but instead in some fucking weird way of being Nazis. Mm. That's my Julius Savola quote. It's direct quote. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah,
5: verbatim. I did the beautiful. translation
4: myself. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. great at Italian, but I feel pretty confident.
5: Yeah, no, that sounds right.
4: Yeah. Um, so... Evola took the anti-rationalism of Dada, and instead of being like, therefore, freedom, he was like, therefore, fascism. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to deep dive him, because he's not a cool person who did cool stuff. He's a bad but weird <laughs> person who did bad but oddly banal stuff.
5: Okay, that should, well, spin-off podcast, where is it?
4: Uh, bad people who <laughs> did odd but banal stuff.
3: Yeah. I bet I can. yeah. I'm not doing a trilogy. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Anyway, fuck that guy. Zara, mm-hmm. the cool one. By 1919, he leaves Switzerland to go hang because the war is over and shit, right? He goes uh, go hang out with the cool Paris Dadaists who are like having the most fun maybe. And they, go- and they start publishing a magazine with <laughs> fucking dog shit name. Literature is the name of their <laughs> magazine. Because <laughs> they're all pretentious as <laughs> fuck. <fly. laughs> I hate it. Don't name your magazine literature. Sorry, that sounds um, so base. You know? Oh yeah, no, totally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we stand. Um, we stan literature. Yeah, but dead ass. Do.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Am I doing it? There right? we go. Probably. Wow. Say it. Say it with some riz. Mm-hmm. Wait, I don't know.
4: I've never even heard that one.
3: That's fine. It's it's what it's what Jen it's what the the, the youth use. To to shorten charisma, <laughs> they call huh. it
5: the person has riz. All
4: oh, right, all I right. I
3: mean
5: that is creative. I
4: that respect has, that. That has
3: been words um my much younger, much cooler employees have taught me. <laughs>
4: <laughs> As compared to me, your like older employer is like, hey. look, I can tell you all about the drama in nineteen twenty, and I don't know shit about what's happening in twenty twenty.
3: Listen, <laughs> listen. Find people who can do it all. That's <laughs> yeah. all I'm saying. Yeah, I need, I need I need it all in my life.
4: Cuz you're a girl boss. That's that's slang.
3: Ooh,
6: but that's a bad mm-hmm. one. Nah,
4: you're not that. Cuz you're you're know. good. Only there were a word for good. There isn't. We just use the word good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> So, the the pure negation of art that the Dadaists were seeking soon turned into a pure negation of each other over minor differences, which will surprise no one who's hung out in a cool as fuck Punk scene. Uh, <laughs> right. Unfortunately. Soon they're publishing like hit pieces on each other, being like, but not like, they're not like publishing hit pieces on like a Vola, right? They're publishing hit pieces on like the way that you're interpreting your particular interpretation of leftism is not the same as mine or whatever.
5: Okay. So it's like diss tracks basically of the 1920s.
4: Yeah. Totally. um And probably <laughs> worse. Although, I don't know. I mean, some of it's kind of interesting. And Okay, so basically, you got Zara, who started off like kind of leader of the Dadas, and then you got Andre Breton, who's going to end up the leader of the Surrealists. And he mm. calls Zara an impostor and basically a clout chaser. Also, only historians call them leaders. To to be clear, like the leader of it. Okay. Actually, Breton might have called himself the leader, but no, whatever. We'll get to it. He wasn't actually the leader. Um, uh-huh. Breton basically calls Zara an impostor and a clout chaser, which is. Probably true the clout chaser part. There's no way you can call Zara an imposter with Dada. It's, it's like 50-50 the name literally comes from him going yes, yes in a club, right? Mm-hmm. This or that Dada's group started having trouble with each other. They're like, no, you're out of the club. And they're like, no, you're out of the club. Look, I'm crossing you off the official roster. See, that, that was your name, and now there's a line through it, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. And so, ladies, gentlemen, and between betweenities... If your art movement has an official roster, you asked for it.
5: Mm-hmm. That is not very art, I would say. Yeah, totally. To <laughs> have a list.
3: And you also asked for these ads. Unless you have cooler zone media. <laughs> then you asked for just this ad transition.
1: Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand.
2: To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit LambdaLegal.org. That's LambdaLegal.org.
4: And we're back. So, this occasionally gets physical. One of Zara's plays gets disrupted by Breton and some furniture gets smashed and the cops end up showing up. They also like to fight about anarchism versus communism although they all keep changing their minds about like which where they're at on any of these given spectrums. Nothing ever changes. So then in 1922 Dada threw its own funeral which I think is cool as hell. We're like (laughs) they were we're done. They're like we did it. Let's have a funeral for Dada. Dada is done. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which actually to make it even more punk uh, 1982 two or no maybe in the 70s fuck someone's gonna check my punk cred crass uh, an anarchist punk band from the uk released an album mm-hmm. called punk is dead and basically it was like punk's over and it was like before punk really even like got going <laughs> but dada throws its own funeral and the whole because the whole point was wasn't to become a shitty art movement but they become a shitty art movement they're like we're good mm-hmm. it's done dada mm-hmm. did its thing we can all go home now And in 1924, when the Surrealist Manifesto comes out, it's basically like Surrealism has devoured Dada, which is not wrong. Okay. But before we move into Surrealism, I want to follow up with Zara because he's cool and he doesn't take center stage in Surrealism quite the way he does in Dada, mostly because Breton kind of won that fight and he's like, fuck you, you're not a real Surrealist or whatever the fucking bullshit. He was stubbornly independent. He didn't like when in the 1920s and 1930s, the Surrealists were like getting in with the Communist Party. And Mm -hmm. he kept getting into fights with Breton. But soon, they're all having bigger problems, Nazi-shaped problems. By 1933, he's like, fuck it, communism, it's better than fascism. So he retires from art promotion and he moves into anti-fascist organizing. He goes briefly over to Spain to join the anti-fascist forces in their war against Franco, which we've talked about a million times in the show and I'll talk about a little bit later in the mm-hmm. script. And then he comes back and he organizes benefits and he puts out poetry anthologies of the world's most celebrated poets against all this fascist shit. And he's just basically like, I'm going to figure out how to leverage my art cred to bring attention to the need to destroy fascism. And this is before World War II, right? Mm-hmm. This is when like, this is when of the like, before anti-fascism, anti-fascism went mainstream, you know? Uh-huh, <laughs> When World War II broke out, he went to southern France. The fact that he didn't fuck off entirely as a communist Jew and a degenerate artist is probably testament to his courage. Slash, partly, he probably had a hard time getting out. Mm. He joined the resistance. He fought alongside the Maquis, which are the Spanish rebels we talked about in one of our episodes in the resistance to Franco. Mm -hmm. He ran the cultural broadcast for the Free French Forces pirate radio station while his son was fighting in the north of France against the fucking Nazis. And at this point, as a Jew, he's stripped of his Romanian citizenship and his home country won't sell his books, right? So he is like a man without a country fighting Mm. desperately uh, alongside his son against the fascists. And at this point, he's like, all right, I guess fuck it, I'm a communist, right? And the war ends. He's like, I guess I'm a fucking communist. Have you ever heard of, speaking of slang, have you ever heard of people talk about tankies? Um, I don't think so. Wow, we live on such different corners of the internet. I'm kind of <laughs> jealous.
5: My, the corner of the internet I live on is looking at cat videos. This is a better so part. If, if, <laughs> and if the I, if... information is not I envy presented. you, Caitlin. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Sophie, you ever heard of tankies? Yeah, yeah,
5: I've
4: to have <laughs> So... Tankies is a pejorative for authoritarian communists, um, particularly Mm. Stalinists. If there's, like, someone online who's being, like, Iran is good because they hate the U.S. or fucking the shitty dictator of Syria. What's his fucking name? Assad. Assad Assad is good because he hates the U.S. Or Russia is good because they hate the U.S., right? Like, Mm. this is a tanky position. This is a position that comes from, like, weird old Cold War bullshit. Okay. Where they're like, I'm just so completely, whatever, I fucking hate them. Um, Because it's it's a nonsensical (laughs) thing. Well, Mm -hmm. and it's it's for anyone who's attracted to the image of like state power with lots of lines of tanks and huge big red flags and shit. Okay. This piece of slang actually comes from the 1950s. It only got popular in the U.S. thanks to Twitter, which famously was not invented until sometime after the 1950s.
5: Mm, I've heard that.
4: Yeah. Um, in 1956, there was a huge uprising in Hungary against the Soviet Union. And it came from all different hung- types of Hungarians. And it included a ton of leftists, including a ton of communists. Basically, they're like, the USSR is, is bad, which is a reasonable position because they are, right? Yeah. <laughs> and this basically split the like communist left around the world, the people who don't live in the Soviet Union also. Half of them, the tankies, approved, they didn't call themselves as their opponents did, approved of the USSR sending in tanks to crush the Hungarian revolution. The other half, who might be called, quote, people with a reasonable understanding of the human desire for freedom and also a basic understanding of what communism is actually supposed to be about, mm-hmm. they supported the Hungarian revolution. Zara supported the Hungarian revolution, which is a break from the communist party, Right. Mm -hmm. He didn't entirely support it, but he supported it enough to piss off the tankies. Any, like, possible, like, hey, maybe it's bad when they get murdered is, like, enough to be like, how dare you question our supreme leader, you know? (sighs) Yeah. And the Hungarian Revolution was mercilessly crushed by the authoritarian forces of the USSR. Mm. And his... I think this kind of breaks his heart. And he's just like, fuck it, whatever. I'm staying out of public life. Everything sucks. And he just... He keeps doing activism. He keeps fight, fighting for decolonization, which is like the main issue for a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. And then he makes it to his 60s and then he does what everyone does eventually, which is die.
5: Mm. A lot of these... Speak for yourself again.
4: Yeah, no, I mean, well, I'm not speaking for myself. I was around during all of this <laughs> stuff. I'm going to be around until the heat death of yeah, the I universe. When mm-hmm. I keep saying the show's going to be around to the heat death of the universe, I mean with me as the host.
5: Yeah, yeah. Obviously.
4: Yeah. It's because I grew up in the blood drinking cult of catholicism where everyone's a vampire
5: Mm, that's why i have so many spare legs i'm just sucking the blood (laughs) out of them Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes
4: yeah you slowly went from spider (laughs) to centipede to millipede Mm
6: -hmm.
4: okay so now we're gonna leave dada and go to surrealism What the fuck is surrealism? It's got all these notable characteristics we've talked about. It's all about the unfettered and unfiltered imagination. It's about freedom of Mm -hmm. people's bodies and minds. It's about dreams. It's about automatic writing. It's about channeled forms of expression. It's about the juxtaposition of the ordinary until it is no longer ordinary. Basically, if Dada is like a fundamentally nihilist rejection of the existent, surrealism is a way to dream possible alternatives, a way to dream up and manifest the impossible. So, like, mm-hmm. going back to utopianism in a way, but instead of it being kind of like, we're going to build the worker's paradise, it's a little bit more like, yes, but we're going to do that by, like, living our impossible dreams. Like, nothing is impossible because reality itself is something that we can shape. I mm-hmm. I knew I liked surrealism, and then the more I researched this shit, the more I'm like, these people fucking rule. <laughs> some of them, who, some of the folks it started out with were some of the Dada folks who were med students in Paris. And they were super into art and all this shit, but they're also into all this new psychoanalysis stuff that's going around. They've been doing automatic Mm -hmm. writing and we're starting to wonder if there's more to reality than what gets presented as reality. And they're into the idea that somewhere between the conscious and unconscious is a third thing. Like the meme, like, you know, do you want this or that or do you want the secret third thing? Mm
6: -hmm.
4: The thing that they're trying to create is a surrealist revolution, a new way to find a higher reality, that space between the conscious and the unconscious. And they realize that exploitation and inequality is what's standing in the way of that. So it's not just a spiritual revolution, but a physical material one. It's like, it's like one of the things that the, most of the hippies got right, but like our memory of the hippies as a society thinks they only cared about like getting high and like opening the doors of perception or whatever, you know?
5: Right, right.
4: Um, Actually, a good chunk of them were like, actually, we can't do that until we, like, feel everyone's free. But, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> they called what they were fighting for the Marvelous, with a capital M. And this is contrasted with its opponent, basically, miserable, miserabilism, which also has a capital uh-huh. M. Okay. Uh, I want to quote a living surrealist author, Ron Skakulski. Miserabilism is a system that produces misery and then rationalizes it by perpetuating the idea that such misery comprises the only possible reality. It's mm-hmm. it basically like, oh, everything sucks, but it's just, that's the way it is. This is how it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so this, to the surrealists absolutely includes the art world. The art world is part of miserabilism. When it all starts to kick off in 1924, like when they have the Surrealist Manifesto, they've been doing this shit for a while, right? But when they they kind of Mm -hmm. put the name to it, it's still slightly apolitical. They had anarchist assassin heroes and shit, but they hadn't quite been like Surrealism is Revolution in the literal sense. This only lasted a couple months. The inciting incident was the Riff War. Which was this anti colonial uprising by the Berbers in northern Morocco. And the reason it's interesting to me is that, like, we tend to think of white Europeans as only caring about white Europe, you know? Mm -hmm. But, like, radicals at the time were absolutely paying attention to um, and sometimes participants in anti colonial struggle. Um, Mm -hmm. Not as much as the. Eventually, I'm hoping I'll do a whole thing on the Rift War and a bunch of these anti colonial revolutions, but, like, basically, The Berbers in northern Morocco are like, all right, we're getting rid of this fucking government, the colonial government. We're going to get rid of the Spanish, Mm -hmm. right? And they've been fighting against the Spanish for several years. But by 1925, they attacked French colonial holdings too because France also was stealing a bunch of their shit. Mm -hmm. In two weeks, they drove the French out of 40 of their 66 military bases and killed, injured, or captured 20% of the French forces in the region. Which is, they're like, outnumbered and outgunned substantially, and they're just like, fucking kicking ass. Yeah. (laughs) But, the problem here, is that France and Spain were quite excited to get willing, quite willing to put aside their differences and work together to smash this rebellion. Mm -hmm. And they had the numbers and the guns, and they put down the uprising by 1926. But along the way, the Surrealists are like, we fucking like these people. The marvelous demands we fight miserabilism with guns if need be. Or to quote them more directly. Quote, We Surrealists pronounced ourselves in favor of changing the imperialist war in its chronic and colonial form into a civil war. Thus we placed our energies at the disposal of the revolution, of the proletariat and its struggles, and defined our attitude towards the colonial prob- problem and hence towards the color question. Which... I really like the, like, oh, you have this imperialist war. What if it becomes a fucking civil war, huh? Fuck you, you know? Mm
6: -hmm.
4: Which they didn't pull off, right? But, like, most people don't. Yeah. And it means that the Surrealists started off as an explicitly anti-racist organization. Their first specific thing was the color question, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And they started off, okay, so, like, the other thing that happened while I was researching this is that I, like, start off with all these, like, there's, like, the art world assumptions of everything that I had heard about Surrealists, which is, like, Dali, the only Surrealist, you know? And then there's the, like, kind of, like, vague, okay, they were people, and they had this politics and stuff. And it turns out most of what I learned from that was also wrong, right? Okay. Because, like, one of the things that you read about is that it started off like a total boys' club. But it, it didn't start off as a boys' club.
6: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It
4: started with women and men, both the very first issue of the magazine, the Surrealist Revolution, had women and had women and men both in it.
6: Mm-hmm. Um,
4: women were left out of the press about the organization uh, by uh-huh. two Typical. groups. I know. And it's by the, exactly the two groups you'd expect. One, the guys in the club who kind of wanted to put up a No Girls Allowed sign, right? Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, no, it's us. And they're like shouldering each other out of the way to be like, ah, it's all yeah. us. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. And also by the press, who just fucking ate it up and just wanted to talk about boys and their paintings, you know?
5: Ugh.
4: <sighs> Boring. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like genuinely was like, oh, I'm going to have to like fast forward through all the fucking boys club shit. And, and then I'm like, oh. There was like people who tried to make it a boys club and they did not succeed. <laughs>
5: mm-hmm. Okay, good.
4: The only people writing about women surrealists were the surrealists, both women and men. The art critics were ignoring them uh, essentially, until the women's liberation movement of the sixties and seventies, when suddenly you start having people go back in history and be like, "Oh, actually, there was literally hundreds of women involved in all of their fucking art exhibits. Like, you know, like every every step of the way." Mm-hmm. One co- like, "Wow, women
5: exist and did things."
4: Yeah, they weren't just muses and. Uh, mm. One of the problems the surrealists had is that they put women on pedestals and would be like, the woman is the most beautiful, perfect thing, and blah blah blah, and we need muses or whatever. And then these like women would be like, "I'm not your fucking muse. I'm an artist too." And then like yeah. most of the men were like, "Oh, that's cool.
5: Oh, interesting. Yeah, you don't say." <laughs> yeah, I know.
4: Some of them were probably like, "No, never mind. You're not fun anymore." <laughs> I can't <laughs> what, control you, you. you.
5: Speak and have thoughts. Ugh. Yeah. Leave
4: me alone. Yeah. Or they'd be like, yes, I want your unfiltered, chaotic, womanly thoughts. Just, I get to be the one to write them down. Rolling my eyes. Yeah. One commenter who was quoted in the book Surrealist Women pointed out, quote, no comparable movement outside of specifically feminist organizations has had such a high proportion of active women participants. Hmm. And the ignoring of these women surrealists actually ties into the misreading of surrealism that mainstream society has, that it's just the painters. Mm-hmm. This, of course, was actively per- uh, perpetuated in the US by veteran enemy of the pod, Salvador Dali, um, right. who once said, I know this is, he obviously had his even worse quotes, but this one's not great. Uh, he once said, Talent is stored in the balls. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> this guy sucks (laughs) it really sucks so bad and so he would like he wrote that about like a specific i forgot to write um there was like a specific woman where he was like i guess she's all right for a girl but no girl can be truly fantastic because you know talent is stored in the balls or whatever oh my god which is why you have that talisman of uh, balls (laughs) castrated off of men um mm-hmm. it's the only way to Again, yeah,
5: it's like, okay, your all your talent is in your balls. Well, then what if I kick them?
4: Yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and so most of the women, or sorry, more of the women were more likely to be writers, especially poets, but also theorists. But there was also a ton of painters and photographers, too. Literally hundreds of women were part of the Surrealist movement in its heyday. And The Surrealist historian I've gotten the most out of during my research in these episodes is Penelope Rosemont, and she stresses that Surrealism has been misrepresented by the press and turned into a drama of, like, splits and purges that represent André Breton as an authoritarian leader. Penelope says about this, From its first day, Surrealism as an organized movement was itself a free association. She says that even the Surrealists who, like, left angry— Still described it as a free community which practiced collective decision making and encouraged the active participation of all. Mm-hmm. It saw itself not as a style of art but a community of ethical views. So it's like, okay, if you're trying to create the marvelous, you're you're one of us. You know. Mm-hmm. That said, some of the participants of early surrealism were absolutely all about the drama and splits. Um, and all about gatekeeping and all about like sitting there and crossing off names and be like, no, you're not. See, you you got crossed mm-hmm. off. Um, and we'll talk about that, but only a little bit because it's less interesting to me than their lives and what they fought for.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Which we'll get into on Wednesday.
5: Wow. I can't wait.
4: Well, you, too. I was going to say you'll have to, but you actually don't have to. Everyone else has to. But We're going right into this I know. convo. I know. <laughs> <laughs> only after we first hear
5: about you? Caitlin! (sighs) It's me. Um, I am someone who also hosts a podcast, which you can listen to if you want. It's called The Cast, and we talk about movies and examine them through an intersectional feminist lens. And by we, I mean myself and my co-host, Jamie Loftus. And um, usually I just, you know, it's, oh gosh, it's a hoot. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk more. Sorry, I feel like I've been very quiet today. I, I, my COVID brain fog uh, is at an all-time high. Congrats. Right now. I'm sorry. And thank you so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, on this next episode, I just need a drink of water, I think. And then I'm going to be... So I'm going to be saying so many brilliant things. And um, yeah, also follow me on Instagram. I don't know. (laughs) It doesn't
4: matter. Okay. The end. (laughs) Uh, I have a project that's probably kickstarting when this is released, but I can't remember all the details about schedules of either part of it, both the Kickstarter or this show.
6: Uh, Nice.
4: And... So it's either going to happen soon or happening now or already happened. But either way, you can still get this thing. I'm writing. Uh, I'm doing like world building writing for a board game called Defenders of the Wild from Outlandish Games. And it has a companion oh, cool. role playing game book. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's like a, um it's by the makers of Block by Block, which is like a, okay. a game of a board game of revolt. But this one is um like you can be like a fox with a bow and arrow fighting against machines that are trying to enclose all the land and like kill all the animals. And, like, Whoa. it's really fun. Um, and I'm helping develop the role-playing game world uh, alongside a really incredible team of people. Um, and it's, like, super professional, like, super cool and good. And you can check it out by searching Defenders of the Wild Outlandish Games, and you can sign up for information about it, or it's already happening, and you can back it, or it already happened, and you can probably still buy it Uh yeah. Or convince someone else to buy it so you can come over to their house and play it. Um, because how can you call yourself polyamorous if you don't have a board game night? This is not true. I actually don't have a board game night. Um, mm. Well, I guess I do have a role-playing game night. I
5: actually kind of do. Oh, nice. I have some friends. We almost exclusively play Catan. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but For now. Um, for now, unt- yes. Until I get my grubby little fingers on your game.
4: Hell yeah. Sophie, what do you got?
3: Uh, cooler Zone Media, Cool Zone Media, at Cool Zone Media, coolzonemedia.com.
4: What about Coolest Zone Media? I'm stealing a joke from James Stout.
5: We haven't invented that yet, but it's coming. Okay. So many new things. We've got Coolest Zone Media on the horizon. We've got bad people who did. What was it called again? Something banal. Yeah, bad people who did bad and banal <laughs> things.
4: <laughs> the Julius Evola podcast.
5: Mm-hmm, hmm.
4: Edge. Great Edge Lords of History. Huh. Exactly. Uh, I actually don't want to host that or listen to it. No, but
5: I don't want to hear anything about I, I it. I decline the pitch. Not
3: greenlit. Not. 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 <sighs> not. Red, red light. light. Boom. Podcast over. Wednesday. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts on Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.